you, Lord. Jesus, we, uh, we worship you tonight, the risen Savior, King of kings, Lord of lords. Uh, we acknowledge tonight that, that your offering was perfect and that it accomplished everything your Father intended. And we, we bless you for that. We worship you tonight. And we pray that as we look at, at your death tonight that we would come to a better understanding of exactly what you accomplished for us. In Jesus' name. tried to get uh, Austin to do some Johnny Cash songs tonight. Maybe, maybe Sunday. Maybe. <laughs> Got a little uh, throat thing going here. But, you know, everybody should get to sing bass at least a few times in their life. I heard... Uh, I heard Mike Bickles say one time that um, people think that uh, that God is um, mostly sad, often mad, and rarely glad. That's just kind of the way you know people perceive God. And uh, I'm really excited about Sunday. I hope that you're still praying and and inviting and planning to bring people. Sunday we're going to look at uh, perception versus reality. Uh, because the truth is, even for many of us who believe, our perception may be a little bit off. And, and the way that we perceive God, the way that we think He looks at us could be a little bit skewed. Um, I had a seminary professor who, who said last fall that Jonathan Edwards preached a sermon, Sinners in the Hands of an Angry God, and then we morphed into... Um, uh, angry sinners in the hands of God, and now we live in a culture that is God in the hands of angry sinners. And, and that may be the perception, but it's not the reality. The perception for some of us is that, you know, oh my, this could not be going more wrong. Um, you know, I mean, Christians are, with every day that passes, it seems like it's less and less popular to be a Christian. Uh, this this could not be the way it's supposed to go. Uh, but I, I promise you, uh, God is not panicking. Uh, he, he, he has a plan, and his plan is perfect, and his plan will be accomplished. His plan is firmly established. And uh, so if you're nervous about God, if you're nervous for God, <laughs> relax. All right. So tonight we're going to look at the cross and, and we're just going to uh, walk through uh, the statements that Jesus makes from the cross. It's a, it's a pretty interesting uh, exercise. There's some really interesting things to notice from the cross. Uh, before we do that, I want to read, and you can read with me, from Mark 15, um, beginning at verse 21.
Mark 15. There we go. Perfect. And they compelled a passerby, Simon of Cyrene, who was coming in from the country, the father of Alexander and Rufus, to carry his cross. And they brought him to the place called Golgotha, which means place of the skull. And they offered him wine mixed with myrrh, but he didn't take it. They crucified him and divided his garments among them, casting lots for them to decide, well, to decide what each should take. And it was the third hour when they crucified him. And the inscription of the charge against him read, The King of the Jews. And with him they crucified two robbers, one on his right and one on his left. And those who passed by derided him, wagging their heads and saying, Aha, you who would destroy the temple and rebuild it in three days, save yourself and come down from the cross. So also the chief priests and the scribes mocked him to one another, saying, He saved others, he can't save himself. Let the Christ, the King of Israel, come down now from the cross that we may see and believe. Those who were crucified with him also reviled him. And when the sixth hour had come, there was darkness over the whole land until the ninth hour. And at the ninth hour, Jesus cried with a loud voice, Eloi, Eloi, lama sabachthani, which means, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And some of the bystanders hearing it said, behold, he is calling Elijah. And someone ran and filled a sponge with sour wine, put it on a reed, and gave it to him to drink, saying, Wait, let's see whether Elijah will come to take him down. And Jesus uttered a loud cry and breathed his last. And the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. And when the centurion who stood facing him saw that in this way he breathed his last, he said, Truly, this man was the Son of God. Lord, I pray that, that you would speak to us tonight. Uh, we've read your story before. We've studied it. We've prayed through it. But even, even so, I pray that tonight, perhaps, you would show us something that we haven't seen that would take us a little deeper, help us uh, to believe more fully, Trust more completely and walk more faithfully. In Jesus' name, amen. So you may notice we, as we read through the story in, in Mark uh, that there are not seven sayings. Uh, you have to go through all of the Gospels and compile everything that, that each Gospel uh, records to, to get the full uh, content. There are three statements that Jesus makes on the cross from Luke. There are three from John, and there's one that's in both Matthew and Mark. So to total all that up, you have seven things that Jesus speaks uh, from the cross. So if you think about it, um, it, it in Jewish tradition even, it was um, tradition for people to say really important things as their last words. Uh, it wasn't just you know, uh, banter or casual talk, but 
very important words were uttered as your last words. And so here's Jesus. He's on the cross. He knows this is the end of this portion of his life. And he says some things that are very important. These are not just emotional gasps. These are strategic, measured statements. So we need to pay attention to exactly what he says and and understand why. So, number one, the first statement, and these seven statements are given titles. They're given uh, names. Uh, If you want, if you have a, how many of you have a book of common prayer? I'm so glad that it's more than just one or two of us. If you don't have one, you might want to go buy one. I promise you, it'll be a good thing in your life. But in the Book of Common Prayer and other uh, aids for worship and following the Lord, these statements are given names. And the, the name for the first statement is a statement of forgiveness. So Luke 23, 34, Jesus says, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. So here's the picture that we have to fix in our minds and and try to grasp and understand. Jesus, from the cross, forgives the people who put him there. Jesus, on the cross, forgives the Roman soldiers who beat him, who mocked him and flogged him close to death. He forgives the religious the Jewish religious leaders who out of jealousy plotted against him and us. As we said last week, last Sunday, uh, who put Jesus on the cross? Every person who has ever uttered a breath. And so Jesus from the cross says, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. They thought they knew what they were doing. They thought they knew exactly what they were doing. They thought that they were putting an end to this man. But Jesus knows, and he's the only one on this scene who knows that they don't know. And he says, Father, forgive. Now, this is an incredibly remarkable thing that we witness from Jesus, but it's also an opportunity As we know that at every opportunity, Jesus teaches and models and gives us the example to follow. And you and I will have opportunities almost every day to either judge or be angry or take a step back and say, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. The second statement it's called a statement of salvation. This is in Luke 23, 43. Jesus says, Truly I say to you, today you will be with me in paradise. Now there are two men that are crucified with Jesus, one on the left, one on the right. Uh, they're both guilty, and Jesus is innocent. And one of them recognizes, according to some of the Gospels at least, one of them recognizes the innocence of Jesus, and the other one doesn't. One of them recognizes his Innocence and actually makes a humble plea to him when you enter into your kingdom. Would you remember me? The other one just joins in the derision of the crowd, mocking Jesus and saying, you know, hey, come off the cross. If you're you're who you say you are, 
save yourself and save us. But the other speaks to Jesus humbly and says, Today, will you, when you come into your kingdom, remember me? And Jesus says to him, Today, you will be with me in paradise. Can you imagine? Can you imagine what that would have been like? Can you imagine being that guy? He's guilty. He's guilty. He's not hanging on the cross because of some kangaroo court like Jesus went through. He's hanging on the cross because he did it. He's guilty. And he's hanging there. And in his guilt, he looks at this holy man and he sees that he is holy and that he is innocent. And that he is divine. And he says, hey, Jesus, when you come in, not, not if, when you come into your kingdom, do you remember me? And Jesus says, I'll do you one better. You're going to be there, buddy. <laughs> You're going to be there. Amazing. The third statement it's really interesting to me. It's a statement of relationship. In John chapter 19, verses 26 and 27, Jesus says to his mom, Woman, behold your son. <laughs> I know. It sounds kind of weird, doesn't it? But you need to understand that in Jewish culture, that phrase, woman, was one of respect. He's not, it's not like we say, Woman. Where's my dinner? It's not like that at all. <laughs> which I want you to know I have never said in my whole life. Which is why I'm able to stand up here. So, he says, woman, behold your son. Son, behold your mother. So, here's the picture. Hanging on the cross in excruciating pain. Gasping for breath. Because of the way the cross is designed, it's actually designed to cause uh, suffocation. Jesus thinks of his mother. In a world that is overrun with selfishness and entitlement, the king of glory in his most vulnerable and painful place thinks of others. Woman, behold your son. Why John? Why does Jesus choose John to take care of his mother? Well, one thing might be that, for all we know, he's the only disciple who's there. He's the only one who's mentioned in the story uh, as actually being at the cross. So it could, could be that. But many Bible scholars believe that Mary... And the mother of James and John were sisters. Which, if they were, it makes it a little easier for me to understand why she went to Jesus and said, Jesus, um, when you come into your kingdom, I would like for my boys to be on your right and your left. If she's his aunt and they are his cousins, it makes more sense to me that she would feel the freedom to ask that. Because I know... That my aunt would ask that. <laughs> so 
So many scholars believe that Mary and John's mother were sisters. Uh, and and this, may, you know, this explains it because Jesus had brothers, but at this point, Jesus' brothers didn't believe. Uh, they were not followers. They had deserted him. Now, they would come to faith later. And, he, and one of his brothers, James, would become a, a key leader in the early church. But at this point, his brothers think he's crazy. And so Jesus, from the cross, looks at the next choice, his cousin, John, who he knows, loves him, believes, and is standing there with his mom. And he says, woman, behold your son. Son, behold your mother. The fourth statement is the statement of abandonment. This is found in Matthew 26, 40, 27 and 46 and also in Mark 15, 34. Jesus says, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Some theologians say that Jesus was abandoned. Others say he just felt abandoned. I would say that regardless, the cross was a lonely place. The cross was a lonely place. And he went there on purpose. He went there on purpose. He knew it would be lonely. He knew it would be painful. He knew it would be actually excruciating. And he went there on purpose. We've looked at his prayer in Gethsemane where he says, if there's another way, let this cup pass. But he quickly follows that statement with, nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. So whether, whether he was actually separated momentarily from the Father uh, because he, he took on the sins of the whole world or whether he just felt abandoned because of the weight of what was happening, um, Jesus felt in that moment a place of loneliness that he had never felt before. A place of, of deep isolation because he was, in fact, alone on the cross there dying for the world. And his heart comes out in the expression, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? The fifth statement is a statement of distress. And Jesus says, I thirst. John 19:28. It's interesting that this is in John's gospel. If you go back earlier in John's gospel, in chapter 4, Jesus sees a woman at a well and he tells her that if you drink of the water that I have, you'll, you'll never, never be thirsty again. And now, the water of life says that he's thirsty. I believe that this statement is maybe equally two parts. I, I think obviously Jesus is thirsty. Any human being would be thirsty in this situation. But it's at least equally and maybe even more a prophetic statement. It's a fulfillment of prophecy. 
Jesus and the cross are not accidental, not coincidental, very intentional, on purpose, everything about it. Scripture after Scripture after Scripture is fulfilled in the way that he dies. And one of those scriptures is Psalm 69, verse 21, that says, They put gall in my food and gave me vinegar for my thirst. And so Jesus, to fulfill the prophecy that he knows, says, I thirst. And they put vinegar on a sponge and they lift it to him. The sixth statement of Jesus from the cross is, is called a statement of triumph. John 19.30 simply says, it is finished. We have, a, we have a statement in our house. What's done is done. What's done is done. There's a great story behind it. I can tell you sometime. Just ask me. What's done is done. So Jesus declares here, as he's hanging on the cross, that what he came here to do is done. It's finished. His mission is accomplished. He has done what he came to do. And what he accomplished or finished was done at a great cost and at great pain to him. And here's the thing I think that we need to to grasp and lock in on. And, And I would say that most of us, if not all of us, are guilty of this from time to time. Jesus said, it's finished. And so if you try to add to what he has done, it's pretty close to an insult. He said it was finished. Jesus says your sins are paid for, so why would you continue to try to pay for them yourself? Why would you try to earn your salvation? Why would you try to earn forgiveness? Why would you try to deserve grace and favor? Jesus said it's finished. He said, he's saying here that everything that needs to be done has been done. And for us to walk in and look around and say, well, yeah, but. Doesn't work. Doesn't work at all. And then finally, the seventh statement is a statement of reunion. Luke 23:46 Jesus says, "Father, into thy hands I commit my spirit." Now with his work finished, Jesus prepares for reunion. He's going back to be with his father, and this statement is the ultimate statement of trust. Jesus is actually saying to his father, "Man, think about this. He's God. Jesus has never stopped being God. And he's going to close his eyes and die. No one 
has ever trusted the Father to that extent, that deeply. Jesus, the Son of God, says, Okay, Daddy, I'm going to close my eyes now. And when I wake up, I'll be with you. Father, into my hands, I commit my spirit. Thank you, Lord. I'm going to invite our servers to come uh, and get in place. And as they're coming, if, uh, if we could get the Apostles' Creed ready, we'll, we'll be uh, putting that on the screen in a moment. And uh, I got uh, two teams over here, Melissa, me, and yeah, there they are, Robert and Kristen. sit or you can stand and worship and reflect and just think about the Lord. He said, whenever you do this, do it in remembrance of me. And so I encourage you to, uh, to think deeply about the cross and about the Lord. And when you're ready to come, you can come. Uh, and if you don't want to come, you don't have to come. And when everyone who wants to come has come, I'll close us in prayer. We'll go home and start getting ready for Sunday. Oh, yeah. Apostles Creed. <laughs> Join me. I believe in God the Father, maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, His only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Ghost, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead, and buried. The third day he rose again from the dead. He ascended into heaven and sitteth on the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From thence he shall come to judge the quick and the dead. I believe in the Holy Ghost, the Holy Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting.